0: My name is Brian. I'm an alcoholic. Um, first of all, oh my gosh, I'm going to do my best to be loud and not just keep my voice at a certain pitch. So that, that monotone thing, because otherwise you guys might go to sleep after all that good food that we just had. So I'll try to make sure that I fluctuate it some way. Um, uh, what we like, what we were like, what happened, and what it is like now. What we were like, I, I i've heard a lot of people say that uh i I grew up in a normal family and i think that my family was anything but normal uh myself that's just from my opinion Um, my dad was in the air force we traveled everywhere uh, around the world spain texas germany pennsylvania california um, numerous places i was always used to picking up having to say goodbye to all my good friends and then We'd get to a new place, and my brother and I would be friends for about the first hour until he met somebody, and then I was by myself uh, trying to find a friend. Um, I I can still remember uh, the day I had my first drink, and it was when I was four years old. We were in Germany, and my mom and dad uh, would have all the single Air Force guys over for Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever, so that they didn't miss home so much, and whenever there's were single Air Force guys uh, and dinner around, there was beer. And so my brother, my older brother, he's almost three years older than me, he'd go, watch, I'll be right back. And he'd get my sippy cup. And at that time, at the time, those sippy cups were not the soft ones. If any of you remember, they were those real hard, almost glass ones, you know. But he would go and he would get a guy's beer and he'd come into the kitchen. He'd fill up mine, fill up his, and then take the guy's beer back. And the guys had drank so much beer they didn't. No any different. And uh, I remember tasting that beer, and then I remember, like, chugging it. And and, uh, so ever since the very beginning, when I had my first drink, I was always as much as I could possibly get. I don't remember too much after that. I remember kind of being the guys laughing at me a little bit. And then I was, next time I came to as a four-year-old, I was on the floor, so um, fast forward to uh, uh, high school, I was kind of a mild drinker, you know. even though I was still the one that I always wanted more. There'd be three of us that would go to the store and buy a beer, I would take my mom's mascara and paint my peach fuzz mustache darker so that I could go buy a beer. <clears throat> and, uh, and I'd get to the place where I was at and I'd not think about the fact that it was 110 degrees outside and I'd sweat profusely and all of this mascara was just running down my face. The guy still sold me beer. And I bought a six-pack of Heidelberger beer. And there was me and two other guys. And I popped the top started drinking mine. The other two guys were kind of like, shh, shh, you know. And the one guy says, oh, I, don't, I don't want any more. That's good. I'm like, oh, can I have yours? You know. I, I, I ended up drinking five and a half of those six beers by the time I was done. And that's the way I always drank. I always wanted more. Um... Fast forward to when I graduated high school, I went into the army and I became a German linguist. And part of my job uh, that I had to do was I had to get a security clearance. My security clearance that I had was the same as what the President of the United States has a top secret security clearance, sensitive compartment information, because I would hear a lot of different things. Um, and they sent me to Berlin, of all places. And um, at the time the wall was still up, that's how old I am. And uh, I remember getting there and they said, it's this unique place. Berlin is so unique. And they have 2,478 bars. So don't worry, you'll never be able to hit all of them. Well, th- that, I picked that as a challenge for me. And uh, understandably in the military, if anybody else has ever experienced that, it's so accepted, at least it was during my time. It was so accepted. Be- to be a drunk, uh, that nobody really ever said anything about it, except when I started missing some days. Uh, Then I started missing some days, and um, uh, there had been a time where a gentleman had come back from uh, leave, and it just so happened that not only was I a a severe alcoholic, but I also liked alcoholic enhancers, I like to call them. And uh, the gentleman and I were puffing on one of those alcoholic enhancers in the uh, room and the sergeant came through to do an inspection so all of a sudden here I am and I got reported to the commander I took away my security clearance put me on hold and I had to go through all this stuff well I know I don't look like it now with my girlish figure that I have and that I maintain but I was in really good shape and I had zero percent body fat practically rich you know what I'm talking about and they I I, I went to my first sergeant I said sergeant you guys made me a cut for the first 89 days I was here and put me with all them drug addicts and that's all they made me do was drug and drink and all that. You know, I, I was i don't maybe like a lot of other people, right? My life was, it, I'd make excuses, excuses, excuses and when I got caught, then I was the victim. And that's what I did. I blamed it on the army. Well, uh, so they took my security clearance away and they gave me what's called a command-directed urine analysis. And if that comes back positive, guess where I'm headed? I'm headed to Fort Lenderwood, Missouri for 20 to 25 years, no doubt, because I admitted that I was doing it. Well, somebody was looking out for me, and, and maybe it was because I was, I'd like to think it was because I was in such great shape, but for the next three months, my UAs all came back negative. Nothing, not even anything. And so they couldn't do that to me. And so what they did then is they sent me to this. It's the Army's Alcoholics Anonymous. It's CDAC, Community Drug and Alcohol Abuse Center. And what they do at CDAC is you go there for uh, three hours once a week. It's an outpatient thing where you go there and you talk. And, you know, I had told them, gosh, I I don't want to be an addict because that's what I claimed, right? It was that everybody made me an addict. And uh, at the end of this, I think it was a six or eight week program, they came back to me and they said, you know, Brian, uh, uh, you're good. We're going to recommend that you go back and get your security clearance back. And we just want to let you know that we don't think you're an addict, but we think you're an alcoholic. And I was like, yes, right on. Because in my family, my family was very church oriented growing up. Being an addict was not a good thing. An alcoholic was okay. Being I mean, an addict was not. Um, so I, I, they were going to send me back to still do my job. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I, I found alcohol and alcoholic enhancers. And I had decided at that time that my life would be consumed with these things. Because it was all-consuming. It already had taken me over. And they said, well... We can get you out of the army, but it's going to be, you know, a dishonorable discharge. And I said, no. Remember, you guys made me be with them cooks, and it's your fault that I'm an addict. So you guys need to give me an off. So I wrote up this uh, uh, part of uh, one of the many things that alcoholics can be. are very good uh, writers are very good of anything that we do. A lot of us do things very, very well. And one of the things that I can do is write very well. And so I wrote a letter to the battalion commander basically blaming the army for my woes and that I wanted an honorable discharge. And guess what? I got it. On my uh, DD-214, it says, drug rehabilitation failure, (laughs) honorable discharge. Again, don't know how that happened. I certainly didn't deserve it. Nothing that happened in my life really was deserving for me. Um, So I get out of the army. I come home and um uh i'm trying to figure out what to do with my life and uh part of what it was mandatory in my family if you were living at home you went to church every sunday i was going to church and there's this guy you know looks he looks like the quintessential fbi agent white hair six foot four 230 pounds wife was beautiful and one day he came up to me and gave me a card and said I mean, we know you have a clearance, I, you're right? I mean, I'm like, what? Who in the hell is this guy? He comes up to me and said, we know you have a clearance. Uh, we'd like you to come work for us. And he said, FBI on his card. And I'm like thinking, really, you know? <laughs> and I went home and I went, now wait, if, I, uh, if I go into the FBI, I can't drink and use alcoholic enhancers like I like to. They'd find out because the Army found out. Why wouldn't the FBI find out that's what I was doing? So I turned it down. I said, no. And I went to work for Home Depot. Um, so uh, alcohol, of course, is still dominating my life. And uh, I'm driving a forklift. Uh, this is the times, uh, during the times when Home Depot wasn't controlled with gates and fences. If you've ever gone to Home Depot and they have to put everything up when a forklift comes out, we didn't do that. We just, you know, beeped the horn and looked over our back and... And uh, my ex-wife started working there as a cashier. Uh, So we met and we fell in lust together, got married within no time. And then uh, uh, we got married and realized that we we really didn't like each other at all, let alone love each other. Uh, But by the time we made that realization, uh, we already had a a son and uh, we ended up getting divorced when he was uh, three and a half years old. And... um, uh, so, you know, I, I would like to say, no, it wasn't my fault that that happened, but how can I do that? I, my drinking was still getting progressively worse. We're like, now we're uh, seven to 10 years past my military life. And, um, I, and so I, I, I realize that I, I've got to figure out how to hide this. And uh, i hooked up with a girl from church who was a good drinker just like me, and we managed to live together for seven years. And my life spiraled down and down and down. Um, In the divorce, somehow, because I was so good at writing letters, I got custody of my son. And uh, um, that lasted till about uh, June 9th of, uh, oh no, excuse me, it wasn't until like September of 98, but... On June 9th, 1997, I had gone and seen a friend, uh, drank very heavily. She lived in Scottsdale. I lived in Glendale, around 59th Avenue. And on the way home, uh, what happened was I had an accident. I blacked out, and I—they um, had done. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm in the hospital. I'm all—I got a big bad scar right here on my eye, and I broke my orbital. My eye actually popped out, and. Uh, how I still see with it, they didn't, could never understand, but I was able to. Um, but I ran into an off-duty Phoenix police officer. So when I do stuff, I do it really good, right? If I'm going to, I mean, I either do really good good, or I do really bad good. But either way, I do it good. And uh, her dad was the sergeant of the Phoenix police force. And they knew that as victims, they could charge me with a Class 3 aggravated assault, dangerous crime because the vehicle vehicle is considered the weapon, and, um, and that's what I got charged with. So I have a Depar- Arizona Department of Corrections number. I went to Arizona de- uh, prison for, uh, my sentence was two and a half years. I got very fortunate, because I could have been in there for five to 15, but I got two and a half. And uh, because I'm such a good guy, I got good time. Now, I'm not uh, utilizing any alcoholic enhancers, I'm not drinking at all, and I get out, and uh, I had gone to AA a little bit before that, but the first time that I went into AA, I saw the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, and I started reading the 12 Steps, and this was like day 13 of my sobriety, and I went, oh, yep, number one done, number two done, number three done, number four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, six, seven, eight, oh, I'm on number eight and nine, that's where I'm at, you know, I was my own sponsor, and I didn't get a sponsor, even when I went into prison. And then when I got out of prison, one of the guys that I hung around with in AA, we kind of went, but it was like pick and choose AA, and I never, never worked a program. I didn't actually have a sponsor and have somebody sit down and say, this is what you've got to do. So I'm, I, uh, because I like taking hostages, I uh, ended up getting married again in 2001 uh, to a beautiful lady who's a teetotaler. And uh, Um, A teetotaler is somebody who doesn't like drinking at all, really, Uh, and she's never done a drug in her life, doesn't like drinking, Um, and uh, I did okay for the first about three to four years of that marriage, Um, but I just hadn't worked the program, and my life was still in shambles, and I was still feeling... Um, less than, you know. I, I, I want to go back just briefly for a moment when I was a kid that was kind of important in my life. Because I remember when I was nine years old looking in the mirror, and my I always parted my hair on the left-hand side. And when, you, when I would look in the mirror, it would show a part on my left-hand side. But when you would look at me, you would see my part on the right-hand side. And I realized this at nine years old and went, wow, no wonder I feel different because I see myself way different than any of you guys did. Not only in the appearance, but who I was inside was more the reasoning I thought that way. So fast forward to this. um, um, My my wife uh, knew something was up. She would ask me, are you drinking? Are you doing drugs? I'd say no. And that went on like that for about four years. And then, uh, five years maybe. And then in 2014, uh, I got caught. And of course, my history with getting caught was then to play the victim. Um, Now, understandably, I didn't have, I haven't had a drink since June 9th of 97, the night I had my accident. But the alcoholic enhancers, I was so afraid to drink. Because of what it how it controlled me, that I thought I could do the alcoholic enhancers and control them. And that was not the case. So uh August, which is my sobriety day, August 27, 2014, my wife filed for separation on me and and had my brother come and get me out of the house. And um, so I left and I and I didn't know what to do. And um my brother uh, worked out going to Salvation Army. Salvation Army, for those of you who don't know, is an adult rehabilitation center. You have to agree to be there for six months. You have to get a sponsor. Uh, They check and make sure that you're working the steps. So for one of the first times in my life, not only did I want to do this because I'd finally hit the bottom, finally, all of it. but uh, they made you do it. You had to do it. You didn't have a choice. Uh, so I started working the steps. An amazing thing. Just right away, an amazing thing started to happen from the very first day I met with them. it's kind of funny the way I got my sponsor. When you're in uh, uh, Salvation Army... You have uh, these meetings that you have to go to in-house. And then once you get to a certain level, you've been there for like 30 days. Then they give you this Kelly Green lanyard and you get to go outside for a four-hour period either with somebody who signs you out or if you and I are Kelly Green, we can go out together for a four-hour period. But usually you took those time to go to meetings. You had to go to at least five meetings a week. And um, so one of the guys that, was holding a meeting on a Thursday night. I had seen him the Thursday before, but I was too analytical and too smart. Even though I I was attracted to him and wanted what he had, I was like, man, I'm not going to just get the first guy that comes to mind. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to interview people. You know, I'm going to find this guy's sponsor has got to be good for me. And come by the second week, I still didn't have the sponsor. And they were already pressuring me, hey, man, you don't have a sponsor yet. been here eight days. And I'm like, shit, right? Uh, So that night, I went to his meeting again that was in-house. And he, again, man, everything that he said, I wanted that. And so after the meeting, I ran up to him. And I'm waiting in line, being patient. And this other guy right in front of me says, hey, man, can I be your sponsor? He says, yeah, sure. What's your name? And they trade information. And I go to him. And I said, hey, Tim. I, I want you to be my sponsor. He says, oh, man, I can only have three sponsees here at any one time, and that guy was just my third sponsee. And I was like, oh, man, you were, you had exactly what I wanted. I would see you. He goes, hold on a second. Let me make a phone call. He gets his phone. He calls my sponsor, who is his sponsor. He says, yeah, yeah there's a guy. Yeah. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, you will? Oh, okay, okay. All right. He writes down his number for me and says, he he said, give him a call. Check it out. So I run to the phone. I go over there and I call him. And the first thing he said to me is, how far are you willing to go? Are you willing to go to any lengths to get this? Because if you're not, you might as well call somebody else. And uh, he told me he was this I can't say ex Marine. If anybody here is a Marine, you know, I can't say that. He's just a a non-practicing Marine Corps person now. Um, but, uh, anyway, so I had envisioned this again, FBI guy, right? Six foot four, 240 pound dude coming in and going, you know? And so on that Sunday when he was going to come, we were going to have our first meeting. I'm anxiously looking at the door, people coming in, standing right up front of the desk looking, and this, I, I'm trying to just dis- describe what he looks like. If you've ever seen Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi, it's exactly what this guy looked like. He came in in sandal shorts, had just all old red hair, just gruffy face, hardly any teeth, and a uh, and he, he got like to right here to me and I, and I, I kind of look at him and, and he goes, uh, you're Brian, aren't you? And I go, oh, yeah, you're Kelly? Oh, man, okay. Uh, all right. But you know what? That man is still my sponsor. And, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. Somewhere again, somebody knew something was happening beyond my control and it was a good thing for me in my life. Um, uh, so my wife had filed for separation, but it, it she hadn't made it official yet. And one thing I didn't want, I did not want another divorce on my resume. So I'm sharing that with my sponsor and saying, well, you know, pray about it, pray about it. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying not to cuss because I can cuss every once in a while. But I, but I was like, I don't want to freaking pray about it. Praying doesn't do any good. He goes, oh, you'll find out it sure does if you pray. So I started praying, you know, God, I don't want to get divorced. I don't want to get divorced. You know, help me to stay sober. I don't want to get divorced. And a week and a half later, uh, this process server came in. I got called down to the desk, got served with, uh, separation papers. And I'm like all mad and, and thinking, I'm just going to leave. What good does it do for me to stay here now and try to get clean and sober? And, uh, the, um, resident manager there said hey brian I, you can do what you want but i would recommend before you decide to leave call your sponsor just call him i said okay because he actually let me go in the office and call him privately because i was crying and everything and and I, I call my sponsor and i tell him you know she filed for separation and there's this long period of silence on the other end and he said "Well, what the hell is the problem you're getting what you're praying for She's not divorcing you. She's just asking for a separation. Hell, you're already separated. You're in here and she's out there. And so because of that simple statement, just because of what he said, it stopped me from leaving. Now, I still turned a six-month program into seven months, but that's a whole other story in and of itself. But on, uh, on my seventh month, April 1st, 2015, I completed Salvation Army. By the time I completed, my wife and I had already, uh, we, had, we weren't perfect. And we still aren't. But w- she was willing to take the risk of having me come back and be in the big bed, the big home. <coughs> and um, we had already gone to court. <clears throat> and she had kicked out the idea of us being separated legally anymore and um, went home. Uh, and uh, I I could feel the difference in who I was already after seven months. I could feel the difference. Um, and, you know, I needed to start making amends with people. This is a big thing I did. One of the most important amends, there's a lot of them, but one of the most important amends that I had to make was to my chocolate lab because I was just never loving of him. I would never love him, and he just loved me and would just follow me around all the time. So I sat down that first day with him and I told him, I said, I said, uh, I said Buster, listen, uh, I'm going to, every morning when I wake up, I'm going to love you. And every night before I go to bed, I'm going to love you. That is my commitment to you and making amends to the way that I've treated you before. And so every day until he passed away two years ago, I did that in sobriety. And also what that taught me was that I had a continuing day by day by day. I had to make the effort every day to do something to increase because I've heard my sponsor had said to me, and I've heard it in these rooms with you many times, that if you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. So you've always got to be doing your best to try to be great. Do I do everything and get great? Not by any means. Um, I have to admit that I was pretty good on the roadway here. Usually I have a little issue with people when I'm driving. But uh, on the way here not tonight, I... Uh, Didn't have any at all. And most days now I don't have issues with people driving. Uh, And when I find out that things like that come up to me and they bother me, there's two things that my sponsor uh, suggested that I always do. One was pray. First thing he told me, when you are feeling off, when you're not feeling right, you need to pray. Pray. And then the second thing you need to do is give me a call. So now today, the way my life goes, I am, he has, (laughs) this program is incredible in so many ways. I pray every morning without fail. I pray every night without fail. Sometimes even throughout the day, I pray. Um, I never have been, nor am I now a great meditator. However, my sponsor, again, he puts this—he always says, I've got a suggestion for you. <clears throat> he never says, this is what you need to do. He says, I have a suggestion for you. And one of the suggestions he gave me at one point was, Brian, when you get in your car and you're getting ready to leave to go to work, Get your seatbelt on and everything, put your arms down, close your eyes, let your breath out, and say your third step prayer. And then after you say your third step prayer, whatever else you feel like you want to say, and then go ahead and move on. So I've made it a point that every day before I take off to work, that's what I do, and my moment of meditation may only last for a minute and a half or two minutes but it's been uh phenomenal the way it has increased my spiritual life and what it has done for me just in making me be aware of that you know i heard somebody told me a prayer one time where they said you know god um I've really been doing everything great today, I haven't lied to anybody, I haven't cheated, I haven't stolen any money, I haven't done anything wrong, but in about 10 seconds I'm going to get out of bed, and that's when I'm really going to be challenged. Um, And sometimes that's how I feel. I remember going to a men's meeting uh, in Awatuki. I'm sorry I'm running a little bit, but uh, uh, I I went to a men's meeting in Awatuki, and this is early on right after I got out of Salvation Army. Matter of fact, it was right at when I was celebrating my first year of sobriety. So it had been about five months out of Salvation Army. And I went there and um, <clears throat> uh, there's about 80 men at this meeting. And, you know, this guy's 40 years, this guy's 27, this guy's this. And I'm like, I got one, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> but they have the guys who are celebrating their anniversaries speak. And so... Somehow I don't, you know, because it was the way it was supposed to be, I was the one that was chosen first to speak. And I had felt a little bit ashamed that I was saying the third step prayer twice a day. I was still having to say it twice a day. I thought, man, when am I going to get better? I'm still saying the third step. You know, I've done all the steps. Why am I still in the third step prayer? Why am I still doing that? And... But uh, this program is about honesty and about not having shame and about admitting who you are. And so during this meeting, I shared that I was a little bit ashamed that I'm still having to do the third-step prayer every morning and every night. But it's been helping me. It's been making a difference in my life. Well, I was the first man to share in that meeting. And every man after that, whether they had six months or 40 years, said, you know, the third step prayer is one of the most important things in my day. Wow, I'm finally doing something right. You know, I'm finally doing, and, and not because it's me doing it, it's because of what this program has done for me because my, my sponsor still takes it as a suggesting to me. Uh, recently, I was frustrated, and I'll share this, and then I'll let, open up to everybody here, but... Uh, I was getting frustrated because my wife used to work from home and now she has a regular job. Now, I'm the one working from home and she's the one going out. But anyways, that's another story. But she is extremely tired and she can no longer do dishes. She can no longer cook. She can no longer do laundry. She can no longer do that, right? That's all I'm hearing. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Um, I can't believe that she's being this way. And so I called my sponsor, and I said, hey, am I, am I on speaker? Because I know his wife's in the program, too, and, and she knows my wife, so I don't want that, you know. And uh, he says, no, hold on a second. So he takes me off speaker, and, and uh, he says, uh, I, I tell him, I said, man, I, I, I'm sorry, I just, can I bitch for a little bit? He says, sure. So I told him, I said, you know, my wife. And he goes, oh, man, you're kidding me. And I go, no. And he goes, you know what? I have the same thing. He said, my wife, she always wants me to take care of her. She's always wanting me to go get her something to eat. She's always asking me to change the channel for her. Always asking me to go and out to the store and get her coffee. And, uh, she's all... and all of a sudden, I, I realized, because I know the situation of my sponsor and his wife. His wife had COVID and got long COVID. And she got it so bad that she lost uh, quite a bit of function. She had to learn how to walk again, and and he is retired now, and he takes care of her. And he has diabetes, and he's had this sore on his toe for three and a half, four years, and and he says, "Yeah, my wife is doing the same thing." He's complaining about her, and guess what? He had his toe amputated today. I say that's not good. But. What that did for me two days ago when I was talking to him, I was, oh my gosh, here I am complaining about my wife that won't do the dishes or cook and he's having to literally get her on the hoist machine and put her in the tub and literally having to provide care for her. Man. But you know, um, That's one of the most wonderful things that continues to happen to me in regards to this program is that as long as I keep trying to do the best that I can, I love the saying progress, not perfection, because I've never felt that I'm a perfect person, but I like the thought of continually trying every day to be better, continually trying to... And you know what? Guess what happened last, yesterday? I got off work at 3 o'clock and Brian started doing dishes. And I, my mom, my mom taught me how to do dishes. Okay, I do dishes better than my wife does. She does them and leaves them all piled up on the sink. No, nope. my mom told me, you do dishes, you dry off everyone and put them away. So when my wife woke up this morning... She woke up to a kitchen, and I'm, believe me, I, I scrubbed, and I even had the coffee machine ready. All she had to do was push on. So, and that's what this program does for me. It takes me from being, from feeling bad about myself and thinking that I'm failing in my sobriety to, oh my gosh, I am so grateful that I just have a wife that didn't divorce me right? If I have to go back to the basic, I at least have to go back to there. And who still manages to let me sleep in the big bed. So uh, I, I, I want to thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. Hopefully I didn't bore you that much, but uh, I want to thank you for the wonderful food and the time that you guys have allowed me to share. Thank you thank so you. much. Yeah, Appreciate it.